Tov, Pashat Vayikra, Tov Shinayin Chet Binyan Kavod. That's the name of the, of the Shia. The first Pasuk in the book of Vayikra is Vayikra Moshe, Vayedabe Hashem Elav Me'ol Mo'ed Le'mo. Right, now this is seen by all the Mephoshim, starting with Rashi, is problematic. Because after all, Vayikra Moshe, that's an introductory statement, right? is another introductory statement. What's the difference between Vayikra El Moshe and Vayedabe'a Hashem Elav? So this problem, this problem is dealt with by the Mephoshim, led by Rashi. Now Rashi, Rashi says, L'kol dibrot, u'l'kol amirot, u'l'kol tzivuyim, right? Dibrot, Amirot, and Sibuyim. Dibrot are wherever it says Vayedaber, Hashem of Moshe. And Amirot is Vayomer Hashem of Moshe. Sibuyim are Tzavet B'nei Yisrael, or Tzavet Moshe. Those are the verbs that are used. Kadma Kriya. First, God calls Moshe and then tells him something, Kadma Kriya. And that he says is Lashon Chiba. Now, I don't know what Rashi thought. I mean, this is Chazal also. I don't know what Rashi thought he meant when he said Chiba. Uh, I, I think what it meant is, is like interaction. Chiba is interaction for no particular purpose other than the fact that there's interaction. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu somehow is saying something about, according to Rashi, about his relationship with Moshe Rabbeinu, and that is, that the name of that relationship is Chiba. Chiba. L'shon shemalachei hasharet mishtamshim bo. It's the language that the angels use. Proof, Shneemar, Bikaraz Elzeb. You know the Nishayao, Bikaraz Elzeb, Amar Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. Now, what is it about angels? What, what, how would we describe a conversation between God and the angels? Right? Since the angels don't have a Yetzirah, I mean, I'm telling you things that Chazal say, not things that I know anything about. Angels do not have a Yetzirah. Since they don't have a Yetzirah, they can't misconstrue a directive that came from God. We do have Yetzirah. We have a Yetzirah. We have this inclination to mess things up. So we can change what HaKadosh Baruch Hu said and, and make it into something else, which is why <coughs> Adam and Chava, having discovered their Yetzirah, were able to decide that they didn't really understand what God said when he said, don't eat from the Eitzadat, from the tree of knowledge. And they said, well, Maybe God didn't really mean that. Or what we thought was, what we thought we heard, maybe we didn't really hear. And that's called Yetzirah. So I go back to the, the words of Rashi. 
לשון שמלאכי השרת משתמשים בו. This word ויקרא is a word in Hebrew which describes the conversation between God and the angels. What is the conversation between God and the angels like? The angels will never make a mistake. And so if HaKadosh Baruch Hu says Vayikra El Moshe, that means that Moshe Rabbeinu is the perfect recipient of the divine command. Perfect, because at this time he has no Yetzer Hara. He has no He's so much part of the conversation with HaKadosh Baruch Hu that he's just like an angel, right? Aval. So that's Vayikra. So how many reasons are there for Vayikra? One is Lishon Chibah, and the other is Malachi Hasharet. Right? Those are the two reasons for Vayikra. And then... Rashi goes on to deal with one of the great questions, the great questions, and that great question is how come God also speaks to people who are not of great significance, like, of course, Bil'am. But it's not only Bil'am that God spoke to. God speaks to Avimelech, the king of Plishtim, right? Speaks to the king of... Egypt, right? God speaks to people who are insignificant and not Jewish. Not, you know, not the benefits. They don't have the benefit of Abraham and Yitzchak and Yaakov. So how could that be? Aval, Rashi says, the Nevi'ehu mota olam nigla alehem belashon arai vitum'ah. There's such a thing. Lashon Arai, something very temporary, not serious, not permanent. Tum'ah, Lashon Tum'ah. Tum'ah means something that you don't like, that you would like to reject, that you'd like to get rid of, something unclean. Right, Shinemar. And of course, the Pasuk that's quoted is the Pasuk about Bil'am, Vayikar Elokim. El Bilam. If you look down further down on the sheet, you see Vayikar Elohim, the second the second source. Vayikar Elohim. What's Vayikar mean? God spoke to Bilam. But the Aleph is missing. It's like a kind of a short form of the word. And and the reason that it's a short form of the word is to distinguish it from Vayikra. So Vayikra is entirely positive. Vayikar has negative aspects to it, even though it's God speaking to Bilam. <coughs> so this is what Rashi, Rashi's answer to the question. The question was, God speaks to Moshe, but God also speaks to Bilam. Question. Answer, no, it's not the same. The way God speaks to Moshe Rabbeinu is A, plus. And the way that God speaks to Bilam is C or D. Right? Something like that. Can, uh, can we take it further? I don't think so. I don't think so. If you look at the, at the Rashi, Vayikar, he says again, Lashon Arai, something temporary. Lashon Genai, insulting. Lashon Tuma, Tumat Keri, unclean. 
כלומר, בקושי ובביזיון. When God speaks to Bil'am, it is described by the words koshi and bizayon. Koshi means difficulty, and bizayon means embarrassment or an insult. Rashi then continues and says, God did not speak to Bil'am during the day. But in order to show him how much he, like Batovu Ohalecha Yaakov, right, that's what, so he had to see the Ohalim. Obviously, a communication with God during the day indicates closeness rather than a communication with God, God at night. Right, that's what, that's what the, uh, the Pasuk says. Let's go back to the first Rashi. Uh, uh, the first Rashi says, Vayikra el Moshe, the second part. You see the second, it's the third line. Vayikra el Moshe, Hakol holech umagia lazna. The Pesach translated and, as, and he called out to Moshe. Why do I need the content? Why isn't it enough to say, Vayidabe Hashem elav? If God spoke to him, of course he heard. Why does the Pasuk have to tell us that? The voice goes along, as voice does, sound does, and reaches his ears. In, in other words, the conversation that takes place between HaKadosh Baruch Hu and Moshe Rabbeinu is exclusive. Only HaKadosh Baruch Hu and Moshe Rabbeinu. HaKol Olechum Agiyah Laznav V'Kol Yisrael Lo Shom'in Yachol, listen to this, Av Lahafsakot Aita Kriyah Now Hafsakot are spaces. Uh, spaces. You know that the Torah written, the kind of the Sefer Torah that we read from in Shul, has a system of paragraphs. Like you assume that a paragraph starts something new. Right? But the paragraph is often not something new, but a continuation of what happened previously. Like the Torah might say by the Hashem of Moshe Lemor, paragraph, and then another paragraph without a new introduction. So what do you need the paragraphing for? I mean, I know today when you write, so paragraphs are helpful in certain things, but, but in the Torah, the question was, why is there a paragraph? If it's the same conversation that Moshe had with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, why do you need a new paragraph? So the, the Rashi says, Rashi says, uh, You see the third line in that Rashi? Could it be, could it be that God uh, uh, spoke to Moshe Rabbeinu <coughs> and that the hafsakot the are included? Like the spaces are included, you know, the place where no one said anything. God didn't say anything to Moshe Rabbeinu, he just let the space, a space. 
So he says, Talmud Lomar, Vayedaber, Ledibur Aita Kriya, Velole Hafsakot. That the voice that Moshe Rabbeinu heard was, a, was the voice that said the words of the Torah, but not the Hafsakot. Not the Hafsakot. Whatever that, I mean, how Rashi had, uh, imagines it, I don't know, but listen to this. So if it wasn't something that God said, why do you need Hafsakot? Why should there be spaces, paragraphs, spaces in the Torah? Everybody who ever got an Aliyah knows that there are paragraph spaces, that there are paragraphs in the Torah. Right? And they have a name. The paragraphs have a name. Ptuchot and Stumot. Right? A, a paragraph, Patuach. A paragraph that's Patuach is the, the line comes to an end and the next line begins the next line. And Satum means there's a space. The, the, the line comes to an end and there's a space of ten letters and then it continues. Right? The two letters. There's a little space and a big space. Now we would think, because that's how we're trained, that the spaces, the spaces are, <coughs> that the space is there in order to separate the previous material from the following material. But, but according, to, according to Rashi, that's not the case. Because if it was really new material, it would say once again, there'd be a new introduction. But there is no new introduction in most of these cases. In most of the cases. And therefore, Rashi says, listen to this. So why did they put these spaces in the Torah? If it's not a new statement, why put it in the Torah? Uh, uh, this is like the most wonderful Rashi statement imaginable. You imagine Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu, when he received the Torah, also received timeouts, timeouts, in order to think about what he just received. Do you imagine that? No. Can't imagine it. And, and therefore, when Moshe Rabbeinu passed the Torah down to the people, he passed it down with that idea that you have to think about it. You have to think about it. I always call that, that's the Torah Shabbat Peh of the Torah Shabbat It's not the Torah Shabbat which we call Torah Shabbat which is all the Gemara, all the questions. What if this and what if that and what if it happened in a different way? That's the, what we call Torah Shabal Peh. But there is also reflection upon Torah Shabichtav, which is which was started by Moshe Rabbeinu. And since he did it, he taught the people that reflection is necessary. How did he teach it to them? By including these hafsakot, these spaces in between the beginning of a statement and the continuation of, of a statement. It's wonderful. Litein revach le Moshe, the fourth line, lit bonein, be parasha le parasha. 
Ubein enyan le'enyan. And in case you're not sure what Rashi really means, the next words in Rashi. Kal v'chover lahediot halomeid min hahediot. What's a hediot? A hediot is not an expert, but in this case, who's a hediot? Everybody. Who's not a hediot? Moshe Rabbeinu. He says, if Moshe Rabbeinu received these timeouts to think about what he had received, certainly everybody else has to use that space in order to think about what he has just learned. <coughs> so Rashi says, the certainly true for a hediot, hediot meaning me, halomeid bin hediot, who had a teacher, who himself was a hediot. So if somebody, if Moshe Rabbeinu learns from God, which you think would achieve some sort of perfection, Rashi says, okay, perfection, that's maybe, the, maybe correct, but besides perfection, besides perfection, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, uh, gave Moshe Rabbeinu time to think about what he has learned, and that was passed on by Moshe Rabbeinu to us. <coughs> so it could be that Moshe Rabbeinu invented the spaces, the graphic, the graphic spaces, you know, Ptucha and Stuma. Okay. Uh, then we have Elad, Lema'et et Aharon, right? Just Moshe Rabbeinu, by the Be'er Hashem Elad. You see the word Elad in the Pasuk? Right? Okay. Um, Me'ohel Mo'ed. You see, Me'ohel Mo'ed, God spoke to Moshe Rabbeinu, Me'ohel Mo'ed, and that's a, a new problem. Uh, how was it physical, physically? Where was Moshe Rabbeinu, and where was Ohel Mo'ed, and where was the sound? Well, we know already that the sound came to Moshe Rabbeinu, the sound of God's voice, and, <coughs> and Moshe Rabbeinu did not hear I mean, B'nai Yisrael did not hear the conversation between God and Moshe Rabbeinu. So if you look at the Rashi beginning Mi'olmo 8, which is the ninth line, I think, that somehow the sound of the voice came to a, an end. It was as though there was a wall and the voice stopped, and did not leave the Ohel Moed, that tent in the middle of the Mishkan. Maybe it just means that the voice was, that it was a quiet voice from God. That's why you didn't hear it outside in the camp. Talmud uh, Lomar, Et ha kol. I'm. Uh, wait a second. I'm, I'm missed out here. Hey, look at the CBOMO eight. Two lines before by the very love. Two lines before in the middle. It's the third, fourth, five, six, seventh line. The seventh line. So I'm sorry, the end of that line, Yechol Shamu et Kol Hakriya, Tomud Lomar, Kol Lo, Kol Elav. 
Moshe Shama Vakol Yisrael Lo Shamu. That's the the Rashi repeating himself. Milamed Beolmo Eid Milamed Shayahakol Nipsak. Maybe the voice that Moshe Rabbeinu heard was very low. Talmud Lomar et hakol. Mahu hakol. Why do we have a definitive article? Right, Rashi was very much into that. Like what? You know, usually a definitive article means this one and not that one. It's like a way of pointing. It's a. You know, it's. A, what do you call that? A, defi- a, a definitive article. A what? Definite. A what? Definite article. Right, thank you. I'm losing it. A definite article means this one and not that one. Right, so what what does ha-kol emphasize? There's only one kol. So you don't have to say ha-kol. Right, it's like saying ha-yerushalayim. You don't say ha Yerushalayim because there's only one Yerushalayim, I think. At, at any event, uh, it says hakol mau hakol who hakol hamiforash b'tihilim kol hashem b'kol hakol hashem b'hadar. So kol the kol was powerful. Kol hashem b'kol. It's that kol. That's what the, that's what Chazal say. So that's not a good answer. It's so powerful that it blasts apart cedar trees. Why does it say that it came from Moed? I mean, it sounds like, first Rashi says it sounds like the, the voice was in the Ohel Moed. And then uh, uh, no one else could hear it because it was very low. But then Rashi says, no, but we have evidence that it was very powerful. So why does it say, Mei ohel mo'ed, milamecha ya kol nifsak. You, you learn from this that the voice somehow came to an end in ohel mo'ed. In any event, this voice that Moshe Rabbeinu heard, this voice that Moshe Rabbeinu heard could have either been like a regular voice. I mean, I know it, it came from it came from God, but as a voice, it could have been regular. But according to Rashi, it had a miraculous aspect to it, and the miraculous aspect was that even though it was very powerful and should have been heard every place, it was only heard in the Ol Moed. So there's like any time there's a a contradiction in the physical aspect of things. So that contradiction, that contradiction is a miracle. Right? That's what a miracle is. It goes against Teva. It goes against what you think should be. Right? So that's what that's what happens here. And and so Rashi goes on and says, similarly, he quotes a Pasuk in uh, in Yechezkel, kol kadveha kruvim nishma ada chatzer achitzona. Until the outside of the of the chatzer of the <coughs> in the mishkan, there was a uh, a chatzer outside of the oil moed. That's the, how far the sound of it went. Yechol shakol namuch. Maybe it was really silent or quiet. 
Talmud Lomar, Kekol El Shaddai B'Dabro. That's the way God speaks, loud. In Kein Lama Ne'emar Ne'chotzea Chitzonah. So why does the Pasuk say it was only until the Chatzer, the outside Chatzer, Shekevan Shemagir Sham, Hayan Nipsak. So Rashi wants us to understand that when it says Me'ol Mo'ed, by the Hashem, a love Me'ol Mo'ed, after all, Moshe Rabbeinu was not there. He was being called by Ikra El Moshe. Come. Nevertheless, there was something miraculous because only Moshe Rabbeinu could hear it since he was outside and the voice was inside and the voice was cut off and nobody else could hear it. So that itself was miraculous. That itself was miraculous. Okay. That's what, that's what, uh, uh, <coughs> that's what the Rashi teaches us. That's what Rashi teaches us. He's taught us a few things, right, about this event. This event, which is Moshe Rabbeinu going to meet up with HaKadosh Baruch Hu in order to get the Torah. There's no doubt that this event is exactly the same as Moshe Rabbeinu going up to Har Sinai to get the Torah. Because Moshe Rabbeinu went up on Har Sinai, if you look at the end of the Parashat Mishpatim, Moshe Rabbeinu went up on Har Sinai, and all the people stayed back. Moshe Rabbeinu entered into the cloud, which represented the presence of God, and all the people stayed back. In fact, in fact, the people were forbidden from crossing some imaginary line which would bring them closer to Har Sinai while Moshe Rabbeinu was up there getting the, uh, getting the Torah. And in fact, <coughs> in fact, the Torah says, if you cross that imaginary line, death penalty. The death penalty if anybody crosses the line. Now there's an interesting pasuk, I think it's very interesting, Pasuk Shmot Perik Gimel Pasuk Yud Chet Moshe Hakadosh Baruch Hu speaking to Moshe Rabbeinu. It's like an enigma, but we have discovered the enigma, and it's not in the Rishonim. The it says Veshamu LeKolecha. God says to Moshe Rabbeinu, they will listen to you. Uvata Atav Zeknei Yisrael Melch Mitzrayim. Atav Zeknei Yisrael, a whole group to the king of Egypt, Amartem Elav, and you'll say to him, Hashem Elokei Avrim, Nikra Aleinu, Nikra Aleinu, God has called out to us, Vatan Elchana Derech Shloshit Yamim Bevitbar, Venizbechal Hashem Elokeinu, Nikra Aleinu, it's a short form, it's not Vayikar, but it's a kind of a short form, it's Nikra Aleinu, that B'nai Yisrael, there is even for B'nai Yisrael a kind of way of, of referencing God's words that are not Vayikra El Moshe. That's what, that's what it says in the, in the Pasuk. Nikra uh, Aleinu, see the Rashi? Lashon Mikre. What's Mikre? In medieval philosophy, Mikre is an accident. Right? Something happens. but unplanned. Lashon Mikre. Vechein Vayikar Elokim. You remember that Pasuk? 
Because if you don't, it's, it's uh, number two, right? Vayikar Elohim. And what did Rashi prove from Vayikar Elohim? That this is a kind of a second-rate relationship between God and Bilam, right? It was like a lower-level kind of relationship. Here, in this pasuk, Perikilu pasuk, you tell who's talking? Who's talking? Hashem is talking to Moshe Rabbeinu and telling him what he should tell Paro. And what should he tell Paro? And what does Rashi say? <coughs> Rashi says, right? It's like a lower level of communication. I didn't understand. I didn't understand why Rashi had to point that out. Why did Rashi say that this is a lower level of communication? So I don't know the answer. But I thought to myself, I thought to myself, maybe, maybe it's like talking to Paro in the in the language that Paro understood, and the language that Paro understood was lower level kind of communication with the different gods that they that they served. There was no ultimate communication; that idea didn't exist. So if you want to talk to Paro, you have to talk to him in the language that he might understand, which is to say, That's what I thought, but I'm not, uh, I can't uh, claim that I prove it. I just bring the Pasuk here because it's problematic to me, right? Not because it helps, but because it's a problem. <coughs> okay? Another pasuk, Shmot Perek Kavhei Pasuk Kavbet V'noadeti L'chasham V'dibarti Itcha Me'ala Kaporet Kaporet There's the Aron Aron Ha'idut or the Aron Kodesh, remember? The Aron Kodesh is a, an ark Ark mm-hmm. And the ark didn't have doors It just had a removable top and they would put things into it by removing the top and putting things into it. The Aron had the Luchot in it and a few other things. You know, Man, the Man, the staff of Moshe Rabbeinu, a few other things. The cover of the Aron is called Kaporet. That's what it's called. And it had a filigree work around it. Right? Something that, you know, artists could make. You know, it took gold foil or whatever it was and made some kind of design in it. And that was a zer zahav misaviv, a crown. So the aron was, had on, on the aron kaporet. On the kaporet, a crown, zer zahav misaviv, and on the kaporet, on the kaporet itself, kruvim, kruvim. Right now, what exactly the kruvim were is a separate issue, but Chazal said, Chazal. First of all, there were two of them. There were two of them, and they also were miraculous, in a way. Like with the Kohen Gadol, Bayat Rishon, 
the Kohen Gadol went into the Kodesh Kodeshim, he found the Aaron Kodesh. <coughs> and then he looked at the Kruvim, and they were either facing each other or facing away from each other, the Gemara says. If they were facing each other in a kind of appreciative way, so the Kohen Gadol knew that we, our situation was good. If they turned away from each other, the Kohen Gadol knew that the situation was not so good. The Pasuk that we're talking about says, I will meet up with you there, you Moshe Rabbeinu, the voice that you will hear, Moshe Rabbeinu, you'll know where it comes from. Where does it come from? Above the kaporet. Above the kaporet, like you could, you could, you could tell the difference. It's not a voice is coming from the right or the left or straight ahead of you. It's coming me ala kaporet me bein shnei Right, between the two cheruvim, which in English is, uh, you know, based on the Greek uh, idea of cherubs. I don't know anything about cherubs. But that's, that's the Hebrew letter. What? That's the Hebrew letters. Cherubim. Yeah, it's, that's the Hebrew word, but the, the Greeks thought that cherubs were like little boys, little babies. I don't know. I mean, you know, it's like probably... Uh, a Wikipedia, a Befeirish Wikipedia. Shnei Kruvim asher l'aron ha'idut et kol asher atzaveh otcha el b'nei Yisrael. So that's where Moshe Rabbeinu learned the Torah. What did Moshe Rabbeinu learn at Har Sinai? And we're talking about the Torah that Moshe Rabbeinu learned when he went to the Aaron HaKodesh, soon Shavuos, you have to know about these things. <coughs> Where did Moshe, what did Moshe Rabbeinu learn at Har Sinai? What did he learn at Har Sinai? What? No, that was the, that, the, I'm talking about the 40 days that Moshe Rabbeinu was at Har Sinai. What crash course did Moshe Rabbeinu take? The what? Well, I, I can't say that no one says that. But, but it's before Torah Shabbat Peh, you had to learn something. You had to learn something before Torah Shabbat Peh. So if, if the Aseret that they brought, Rashi says that Rav Sadiqa'un said that one of the Aseret that they brought, they're kind of the outline for all of the mitzvot. So if you learn the Yasserit that they brought, then you're really clever like Moshe Rabbeinu was clever. You learn all the mitzvot. According to Rashi, on the day that Moshe Rabbeinu went up on Arsidai, came down. That's the Yasserit, the day of the Yasserit that they brought. But if you take that idea and you go to the, uh, the 40 days and 40 nights and you divide the Torah into two. <coughs> you divide the Torah into two. History histories, Christomathy, right, you use that word, and then there are mitzvot, right, those are the two sections of the Torah. 
it makes sense, although not nothing is impossible here, but it makes sense to say that what Moshe Rabbeinu learned on Har Sinai in the 440 days and 40 nights were the 613 mitzvot. He learned the mitzvot. Now he had already learned the parish of Mishpatim. Parish of Mishpatim. Right, that was the parish that introduces the acceptance of B'nai Yisrael of the Torah. Which to me, uh, to me personally makes sense. That what happened at Har Sinai was that B'nai Yisrael learned that there could be such a thing. Such a thing meaning the Torah. There could be a Torah. What is remarkable about the Torah? That it's something God gave to man. That's hard to believe. Hard to understand. But if all of B'nai Yisrael were prophesying with Moshe Rabbeinu, so they knew for a fact that God gave them the answer that they wrote. I mean, it wasn't something, it wasn't a question of, of it being rational or not. It was a fact that everybody could attest to because everybody was there. Then the 40 days and the 40 nights, it seems to me that Moshe Rabbeinu must have learned all of the mitzvot of the Torah. It doesn't it doesn't uh, like make uh, particular sense for me to think that Moshe Rabbeinu learned the story of Korach on Har Sinai, the 40 days and the 40 nights. So what happened during the 38 years? What happened during the 38 years? God told Moshe Rabbeinu the Nusach of the Torah. These are the words that you should write down. In other words, on Har Sinai, Moshe Rabbeinu learned all the mitzvot. I mean, in a matter of, uh, I mean, I don't know how. But if you'd ask him a question, you'd say, yeah, he's supposed to eat a matzah on Pesach? Yeah, eat a matzah on Pesach. But that doesn't mean that he had the parsha written down. That's what I think happened during the 38 years of the desert. So that this pasuk, this pasuk says, no, what? Et kol asher otcha el Yisrael. Mitzvot. I will speak to you the language of mitzvot. The way it has to be written down. So that you know that you could learn things in a manner that doesn't include a written text or just includes hints at whatever you've learned and you could learn a written text. So during the 38 years of the desert, when Moshe Rabbeinu was teaching the Jews the Torah, he was teaching them the text of the Torah. What the Torah looks like, what the Torah should read like. So, Rashi says, He says, I will, uh, we, we will set a time, we'll make a date, and on that date, I will come. HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, I will come and speak to you what the next part of the Torah. So now Rashi has this famous uh, discussion. This Pesach says, And that Pesach says, So whatever Rashi says, we haven't got time. We haven't got time to go there. You should look at yourself. Rashi says there's some kind of an answer. There's some kind of an answer. But I think that it, the, the, the thing is, whenever the Torah 
whenever the Torah says something like that, the voice, there were two different places. The voice came from here, the voice came from there. It, it's obvious, uh, it says, Har Sinai, the Pasuk says, Ro'im et akolot. This is Ro'im et akolot. They saw the voices. Now everybody knows that's not even a contradiction. Contradiction to say uh, this is D and this is J and this is E, but the same phrase. In the same phrase, you can't say that. I don't think. I don't think you can say that. So, what does Ro in et akolot mean? What does Ro even mean? How could you say about the voices they heard lightning and thunder, saw lightning and heard thunder, and it was like really like a, like a real exciting time? And the Torah describes it as Ro'im et HaKolot. Well, what if you wanted to say that the Kolot were not like any other Kolot that you've ever heard? And what if you'd say you saw things that you had never seen anywhere else, but you didn't have the, the wherewithal to describe them? They were such a unique experience that Ro'im et HaKolot makes sense. It becomes a reasonable way to describe something that's not describable in the language that you have at your disposal. And in the Torah, nobody would understand it. With Rowan and the Kolot, they understand. They understand it was special, it was different. It wasn't like, wasn't like anything else. So the same thing is true about the communication of Moshe Rabbeinu and HaKadosh Baruch in the Oum Moshe Rabbeinu heard something outside and he heard something inside. Outside, maybe he heard an invitation. Inside the old Moed, he heard the, the language of the the language of the Torah itself. That's what that's what I think. But Rashi Rashi feels that you could somehow uh, uh, deal with it. That you could deal with that. Okay, if you turn the page, you turn the page. Here, Zion. You see seven, seven. Vayal Moshel Hahar, Vayichas Anan et Hahar. This brings us to another problem. Vayal Moshe et Hahar, Vayichas Anan et Hahar. Vayishkon Kivod Hashem Al Har Sinai, Vayichaseu Anan Sheishit Yomim Vayikral Moshe BeYom Hashvi Mitoch Anan. Maybe we'll come, we'll be able to solve this problem. You know that the, in the Zohar it says many times, many times, that in thinking about God and relationship to the created world, <coughs> the Zohar says, Mimalei kol olmim v'sovev kol olmim. It's like a, an aphorism. It's a Zoharic aphorism. What does it mean? God fills the world. The world is full of God, the created world. And God surrounds the world. Now, for us, that's impossible. Because if God, the only way God could surround the world is if it was like a donut with space in the middle, something empty. Otherwise, you can't say God is around the world. But if that donut in the middle if the middle part of the donut is also full of God, then all you have is God, every place. So these, so the Kabbalists, the Kabbalists like love this. You know, this is their like bread and butter. 
They could just talk about this endlessly. <coughs> so, the Pesach says, Vayael Moshe el hahar vayechase anan eta et hahar, the cloud. Now, what is that cloud? What is that cloud? We're talking about somewhat different topic now. What is that cloud? Is it God? Or is it kind of say, God is right behind me? You know, <coughs> you come to this problem of makom. Is it possible for God to be in a place as opposed to being in another place? Now we know that that's supposed to be true because the Beit HaMikdash is a place. The Mishkan is a place. So God could be in a place. So the Kavod Hashem, right? So the Anan is God that's in a place. And the place is the Har. Dwelled. Kavod Hashem. So I'm just interested in the Anan. I mentioned the Anan. Is the Anan Kvod Hashem? Is it the presence of God? And is the presence of God in a place? Right? Then we know that that the thing, one of the things that kept the Jewish people alive in the last 2,000 years of the diaspora, it's already 2001, 2100. A lot of diaspora after the Beit HaMikdash was destroyed, and it would be perfectly reasonable for people to say, God has uh, abandoned us. There is no God in our midst, which is what we had before. So, what did we do? We said, every Beit Knesset, this is an idea, every Beit Knesset of the world is a Mikdash Ma'at is a little Beit HaMikdash, which means that every place, every Beit Knesset I build, wherever I build it, has within its confines the presence of God. This was a great idea, only because it caught on, because people believe it, because people believe it, and that's why people go to the Kotel Maravi, because they're tourists. It's a place that you go to, but if you want to daven mincha, you could do it just as well in shul as it's going to the Kotel Maravi. So that's what it says. So Kvod Hashem is some place. It's some place. It's not every place. Not every place. Now the last page. Look at the last pages of Rambam. Maimonides, the guide to the perplexed, one nineteen. What should I do? I'll read it. I'd rather read it in Hebrew. Uh, three, four, five, six lines from the bottom. This is this is a, a section about the word Malay. Mem Lamed Aleph, which means to fill something up. Fill something up. Malay. Umizayan. Malay. Malay kol ha'aretz kvodo. The entire world is filled with kvodo. Kvodo means. 
the presence of God is every place. Kvodo, Enyano, Kol Haaretz Taid Al Shleimuto. Every place in the world is a witness to the perfection of God. Klomar Torah Olav. That is to say, every place in the world is an indication of God. Right? That's the Rambam's idea. The Rambam's idea that Avat Hashem comes from scientific investigation. Not, not belief. You can't make a Baal through scientific investigation. But a person who is religious and sees how complex things are, which is what science helps us to do, I mean, even though science also elucidates and clarifies, but it also impresses us by the complexity of the world that God created for our benefit, so that, according to the Rambam, causes Avat Hashem, the love of God. You love God because you see how, how intricate the world of creation is. And he says, as everything in the world. And similarly in the Pasuk that we just learned, Kvod Hashem Malay et Amishkan. Kvod Hashem Malay et Amishkan. So what does that mean? That seems to contradict what the Rambam just said. The Rambam just said that God is every place. <coughs> you remember the Zohar? God is every place. And God is a, a donut. And God is every place. That word, and every time the word malay is used in reference to God, this is what it means. Rambam. It doesn't mean that God takes up space, goof, that God has a body, and that that body, if you put it in the room, takes up space. There's a little less space in the room. That's not Kvod Hashem. That's not what God is. Ela Shetasim Kvod Hashem. He says, he says, you have to want to place Kivod Hashem, the, the, the glory of God, Ha'or Hanivra, Ashayikra Kavod Bakom. That the word Kavod is light. That's the light of God. And that's what filled up the Mishkan. Now, what is Or? What is Or? Why is there that, that, that metaphor of light? so exciting and, and helpful <coughs> because light fills up the space that you put it in. Like you have a light, you put it in a box, small box, fills up the small box, but doesn't get out of the box. Then you move the same light to a big box, it fills up the big box, but it doesn't, what doesn't it do? It doesn't take up any room. It doesn't take up any room. No? Mm -hmm. 
So if it fills everything up but doesn't take up any room, so that's the nature of Kvod Hashem. So the fact that God, the light of God, is in the Beit HaMikdash does not contradict the fact that the light of God is also every place at the same time. It was light can be contained, but it doesn't take away. It doesn't take away from its physicality. The physicality remains. It all remains with you. <coughs> so these problems, which we saw today, we saw today in the, uh, saw in the Rashi, we saw about the communication between HaKadosh Baruch and Moshe Rabbeinu, which was special, and it's not going to be repeated. Moshe Rabbeinu was, was the only one who could bring the Torah in the world because his relationship to God's Word had no connection to the Yetzirah. He was totally accepting of what God said, but even Moshe Rabbeinu had to add understanding to what he was taught. And that addition of Bein HaParshiot that, uh, that he added to the Torah was what Moshe Rabbeinu passed down to B'nai Yisrael. A second problem that comes as a result of the fact that Moshe Rabbeinu had to go to the Oel Moed to hear the voice of God and to receive the Torah of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, is that somehow place makes a difference. Even though we know that God is everywhere, but we also know that God is somewhere. And that somewhere was critical for making, for completing the Torah. For some reason, Moshe Rabbeinu could not receive the Torah on the run or walking around, or in his own <coughs> in his own house or tent or wherever it was, couldn't do that. He had to be in the Oel Moed in that place, and the reason is that the Kabbalah Hashem was in that place. So how do we solve that conundrum between saying that Kabbalah Hashem is there and Kabbalah Hashem is everywhere, because they seem to be contradictory? So the Rambam uses the Rambam uses the metaphor of light to say that's what Kavod Hashem is. It's a kind of a light. What's what is special about the nature of light? That while it fills all of the space, it does not have. It's not really uh, physical. It doesn't take a physical. It doesn't take physical length and width and height. And so. And so you could have a place, and God can also be every place. And in some way, these two ideas are not contradictory, and I think that that's what the Ramah meant to say here in the Moran Okay, have a good job.